Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Dan Bentley. Dan is co-founder and director of Impacto Consulting and is based in the beautiful Melbourne, Australia. As I was just saying to Dan before we started recording, one of my favorite places in the world, as well as Brisbane, where I'm based and uh, still waiting for my call from Tourism Victoria or Tourism Queensland. So guys, if you're listening, I am available and I give a great shout out 
but uh, more important than Melbourne. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, Jono. It sounds like you're already giving them some free advertising. So if they contacted you, they'd probably just have to pay for it. So that's, yeah, <laughs> retrospective, please. I want a proof of how many leaders are now finally that our borders are open are flocking to Melbourne and Brisbane because of the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'll start collecting the data. Um, hey, mate, it's been great to even just chat a bit before we uh, press record, but start off the bat. I know you have your own podcast as well, and I really would love you to mention that for people to check out. But um, also tell us a bit about Impacto Consulting and what you do. Yeah, man, happy to. So, uh, yeah, I'm one of the co-founders and, and directors at Impacto Consulting. Uh, essentially, we're consultants and we specialize in innovation. Um, we're probably best known for the work that we do with um, not-for-profits and government departments. Um, a lot of work we've done is in aged care and disability. Uh, and what we do is we help organizations go from kind of traditional and just surviving to becoming more so innovative and impactful organizations. Yeah, I love that. What I also love, and I know I, I like, I love the name, but um, uh, Impacto Consulting, it's good, but it also, I, I can't help but say this being a Jono, um, it's truly Australian that you have um, Impacto Consulting because Australians, if anyone knows Australians, we will add an O to anything. You meet an Aussie anywhere overseas, no matter what your name is, we'll call you. That's where John, I'm Jonathan, but Jono. So Impacto Consulting. Um, and I love chatting with Aussies. It's just always so much fun uh, having another Australian on the podcast. So uh, that's fascinating. So innovation is really the space that you guys focused in on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just go back to the comment about the name as well, that it's actually a, it's Spanish, believe it or not. So you're right. We do put O's on the end of everything, but so do the, uh, the Spaniards. <laughs> so not, not I, bad. I, there's a whole story about how it came about, but I'd spent a lot of time in South America before yeah. uh, starting the business. And we knew impact was our game of what we'll be working in, but to come up with a name, I kind of thought, Oh, that sounded kind of sounds a bit like but startup-y sounds a little bit trendy yeah uh, and it's just it's just the spanish word for impact so oh i like it so it's more chose. it's more impacto consulting not impacto spot on man spot yeah. on <laughs> okay. noted for self well uh that's uh no beautiful i love it um so let's chat about you and your story and we were just saying before we press record you've got your own podcast oh now yeah what's the podcast you have i, I do want to mention that yeah, I forgot about that. Went on a bit of a tangent. So uh, yeah, it's called the Innovate for Impact podcast. Uh, it's myself and my colleague, Tracy Newman. And yeah, we talk all about how do you create these innovative and impactful organizations. And it is through the lens of the, the sort of clients that we work with, but we also, it's, you know, a lot of this stuff can be moved across sectors and translated into uh, any sort of organization. So um, yeah, we love talking about really practical ways people can uh, make their organization better and have a bigger impact on the people they support. Yeah, wonderful. I love that. Uh, so tell us about you. I'm, I'm keen to hear even as far back as, you know, your childhood, what are some of those moments along the way that really shaped you becoming Dan, the leader, Dan, the, the thought leader, the innovator, uh, the consultant, but also the person that you are today? Yeah. Well, uh, thinking back, I'm trying to think of where to start. Well, look, I was, I was the oldest of four. So that's uh, you're given a leadership role there without putting your hand up for one uh in a lot of ways so the, yeah the ultimate big. difficult stakeholders three younger siblings oh totally um yeah i i i yeah i guess I did, that's kind of where it started to be honest i feel like uh you know being that eldest person in the family you sort of were given responsibility i uh, was quite often sort of given decisions to make uh it was quite often told to work with the other children you know and a lot of those sorts of skills in, in terms of collaboration you know being able to make decisions and being able to to be confident in your ability to choose a direction i guess um stems from that um my my mum as well was a was a uh she was a leader in her own way she was never in a leadership position as such but she was uh, definitely a leader in the community uh, and so was my dad too both always involved in very community-based things like our local sports clubs and the school and any type of thing that us kids were involved with she was always involved with so and my dad my dad also has run his own business his whole career um so his whole life so yeah i've always sort of been surrounded by those sorts of influences that sort of helped me become the person that I am, but I never saw myself as wanting to be a leader in the terms of a business, uh, in terms of like putting my hand up to say like, I, I necessarily, 
Oh, no, actually, no. Can, you, you edit this, yeah? Normally, we keep it raw. Um, oh, cool. All right. <laughs> I was just going to say that all again because that's not true. I did actually. Uh, well, it's all right. You can keep this in if you want. But I, I was about to say, I never really saw myself as being somebody that was a leader, but that's not true. I guess always through my um, uh, childhood, I was always sort of you know, putting my hand up to coach teams or being leadership's positions in sports teams or at school and those sorts of things. So I guess I always was sort of drawn towards it, but I guess what I would say to clarify what I said before was that I, I didn't see that necessarily as, as, as a leadership position like I do today in terms of like, I didn't say like, oh, I wanted to be a manager in an organization. You know, my dream was, I had many of them, but it was to mainly be a musician. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and uh, I still am a musician, uh, yeah. but I, uh, I, I got, I, I, I took a job in a call center in my uh, probably when I was about 18, 19. And the idea was that I could uh, do shows all through the week, you know, yep. have late nights, come in and just do a job where no one could see me. And I could not be, you know, feeling or looking my best after, you know, having a free bar tab for the night and, and uh, you know, being, you know, play, you know, playing music all night and hanging out with my friends Uh and I just wanted a job that would allow me to do that. Um, and when I got in, I, my first job was in Telstra in one of their call centers. And uh, all of a sudden just started finding myself getting opportunities because I was, I guess I was okay at the job. Um, and yeah, I, I got opportunities to lead people's teams when they went on holidays and all of a sudden found myself uh, being asked by one of the leaders who was one of the people that's absolutely pivotal in my leadership journey mm. Um, she gave me a real shot to go up to Darwin with her for um, a, a year or so and help wow. her transform uh, one of the call centers up there. And um, that was, that was huge for me at the time, because like I said, I didn't see myself as wanting to be necessarily a business person, even though I had these leadership qualities yeah. that other people were seeing, but she really saw a lot in me and kind of thought, well, you know, I, I, I've got to transform this place. I'd love you to come up and give me a hand. That's amazing. Uh, I have so many questions I want to ask about that, but the, one of the things that comes to mind is for some reason, and I, and I laughed about the music because that's true of me too. Like I actually had, I was a lead singer in a band and we had an EP and I, I had a, a scholarship to university. I was a year in and I quit uni to chase, <laughs> chase the band. And uh, yeah, so it, it was just, um, I, I was just laughing because there's some parallels there, but I, I grew up thinking, I never wanted to be in business as well. I think I thought it was really boring for some, like that's all I can pinpoint. And now I'm like, what was I thinking? I feel like business and leadership and this is like the most exciting thing ever. It's so much fun. It's so challenging, different people and, and everything that I get to work on with, with clients. I have no idea why I thought that, but was that similar for you? Was it sort of that you thought of business as, as boring? And so it didn't appeal to you to want to be a leader in, in business or what was it that you think, made it sort of not be on your radar when you were younger? I think I liked, I've always liked the idea of entrepreneurship. I think even from a child, I, my mum did this really cool thing and I've still got it actually. It's this like a book that every year when you're sort of going through school and I actually think it starts at kindergarten all the way through to when you finish high school, um, you, you measured yourself and you put your weight and a photo of you and you, you wrote, what do I want to be when I grow up? And some of the years I wanted to be Superman. Um, and some of the other years I actually wanted to be like a restaurant owner. So that I, I, I kind of thought running a whole business was really cool. And I guess I've seen that from my dad having the creativity. And I, and I think I saw that as a creative pursuit, but I felt like maybe being like a frontline or middle manager, maybe wasn't a creative pursuit. And I think that's where I could probably agree that I maybe thought that it wouldn't be as fun as it ended up being. Um, when I got into it, I realized how, yeah, it was a creative pursuit. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I completely agree. I, I love that. Um, <laughs> if I think of myself when I was young and uh, one job I wanted when, when I was in grade eight or nine, I wanted to be a psychologist because of how much money psychologists earn, which <laughs> yep. now I, I just think, Oh my goodness. Like, the great psychologists I know, none of them do it for the money. They do it because they're so passionate about psychology. Mm. And then the other thing I really wanted to do was a job where I wouldn't have to do much paperwork. So yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say Jono at 13, 14, 15 was a great, had a really, really targeted. And, and I, that's why I always feel bad when I fall into that pattern. You meet a 17 year old or even a 15 year old kid. And you're like, so what do you want to do? And it's like, oh man, I got to stop asking these 
poor um, teenagers this question because my answer was a psychologist because they earn so much money. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe give them a break. Yeah, we put a lot of pressure on young people, don't we, to sort of decide their entire life. Um, <laughs> I think it's changing. I don't think it's so much like that. But I think for our previous generations, it was a bit mm-hmm. more like that. I think now, you know, people sort of understand the concept of portfolio careers, you know, they might do something in their twenties, something different in their thirties, and then a couple of different things in their forties, you know, or or even vice versa. So that's all, that's really changing. We don't have to choose a profession for our entire life anymore, unless you really want to. Yeah, that's true. I want to ask you about your parents, because you mentioned that that was really where leadership started being the oldest, uh, being the oldest child, and then watching your parents, your dad owning uh, owning a business and your mom being a leader in her own right in the community, are there any moments that come to mind where you learned a leadership lesson from them, like where you saw them, um, you know, and parents, there's probably things you learned what to do and what not to do. All of us, like whether we're the children or the parents would attest to that, to those moments, but um, anything that comes to mind where you go, yeah, actually, I remember, you know, how dad dealt with that or how I saw mum. you know, she always tended to act in that sort of way. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, look, a number. Uh, I think one that is probably at the top of the list that comes to mind is my mum was absolutely someone that was uh, really, really resilient and and a real hard worker. And uh, I remember you'd wake up and you'd have a a cold or something. This is obviously long before the days of coronaviruses. Um, And I remember just being like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm too tired and I'm too uh, too sick to go to school. And she would say, all right, um, look, why don't, why don't you go and just sort of see how you feel. And if you still feel this way by recess, give me a call and I'll come and get you. And <laughs> you'd go to school because the hardest bit was getting out of bed, right? And you'd do all that and you'd get in there and you'd yeah. realize, oh, I'm actually not that bad. Maybe it's just a little sniffle. Or sometimes it wasn't even much at all. Maybe it was just a cold morning or something, you know, but that's, that's a lesson that really has stuck to me. I'm not necessarily saying to people go to work when you're sick, especially not at the moment. So don't take that the wrong way. What I am saying though, is, is that that whole thing of like, you know, sometimes you may feel a certain way, but if you can sometimes sort of just kind of get up and, and see how you feel after you're not making a permanent decision at that point, you're actually yeah. sort of saying to yourself, well, let's see how I go. And if I'm still feeling this way in a couple of hours, then, you know, maybe it's just going to be, impossible and it's not going to happen and i'm actually better off to rest um but at the same time if you do and what happened to me you know nine out of ten times was i'd get there and go ah look i'm actually fine and i had a great day um just that sort of a instilled a bit of a work ethic uh into us that was yeah that was about you know give it a shot have a go um see how you feel and you know nothing's permanent you can always you can always go home if you need to or you can always uh you know uh, adapt in that moment if you need to I think another one was just how they sort of helped us with, you know, we were always encouraged to play sports and be a part of a team. And a lot mm-hmm. of the work that we do at the moment is around collaboration. Um, and also obviously being one of four had a lot of experience with collaboration. And I just think they were always very much around, uh, you know, not treating, uh, you know, my mum used to have a sort of a, uh, I guess people knew her as someone that was uh as as friendly with the CEO as she was to someone in a lower role in the hierarchy, right? Like um, she was never fake. She always just treated everybody equally. And I think that's another thing that's really helped me through my leadership journey has been having that same sort of a a view. Whereas I think sometimes people can be quite threatened by authority or they go the opposite way and they try and please authority in a way to sort of uh, progress Mm -hmm. their career um, and I think just being authentic with all different types of people, no matter what their role in an organization or in life is, is a really key lesson that me and my brothers and sisters have all been able to take on, not just into our, into our leadership parts of our life, but just into life in general. hundred percent. They're wonderful attributes and wonderful lessons. Um, I don't know if you've come across any of Patrick Lencioni or Patrick Lencioni's work, um, but he has a book called the ideal team player that I use uh, constantly, particularly when I'm doing anything with hiring or, or helping leaders, you know, just to make sure their HR processes are really values led and they're getting the right uh, sort of people where they've had challenges finding and keeping great people. And uh, anyway, he mentions in this book, the three traits of an ideal team player, which funnily enough, they came up with these traits as their own company culture, which is so funny because they were like, 
here are our values, but they're such a team company. That's really what they do. They're called the table group. And it's about building, you know, the, the relationships around the table that they had all these companies, all these clients of theirs that kept saying, Hey, uh, do you mind if we just take your values and use them? And they were really offended. They're like, no, you like, that's terrible practice. That's you can't do that. And understandably, cause I sort of agree with that, but then they stopped and, and finally went, wait a second. Why are so many people uh, asking us about these values? Cause they'd share, you know, this is how you create values. Here's an example. Here are ours. And they stepped back and looked at them and they, and they said, you know what? I think we've actually articulated. Yes. These are our core values as an organization, but they're also the three traits that make a great team player. And the traits are humble, hungry, people smart. Um, and what I love about your story just then is you actually talked about your mom and you talked about two of those. Uh, you talked about humility in that she's the same with the CEO with anyone and that real uh, humility and, and authenticity, but just not thinking too highly of yourself and, and, you know, whatever needs to be done. And I can hear that in that story. But you also talked about hungry, that work ethic. And the thing that struck me about the ideal team player is we all know how important humility is. Well, I hope like most of us realize that, but he made this point in the, in the book, Patrick Lencioni, he actually said the hardest one to grow, the hardest one to develop. Like if humility is not there, that's arguably the most important one. But if you, that can, someone can grow in humility, the hardest one of the three humility, uh, hunger and being people smart, being, you know, emotionally intelligent is another way they sort of talk about it is actually hunger. And I found that so interesting because they, they say it's so family of origin dependent. If you come from a background where you haven't had a work ethic instilled, their experience, 20 years working with corporations and growing leaders and, and coming across leaders who aren't hungry and helping to grow them uh, and interested in what you think about this. But their argument was if someone lacks work ethic and that hunger, it's very hard for them to change. Yeah. Yeah. I, from my experience, I'd say that's um, pretty pretty spot on um it's another it's another thing that was probably instilled in us too is that i think i had a job at i think what is it legal in australia 14 and nine months you can get a job i'm pretty yes. sure i was like 14 nine months on the day i started my first job <laughs> at kmart <laughs> working on the checkout that mum had already hooked up for me you know yes uh, but before that i was um delivering um junk mail on my rollerblades you know, and yeah. she'd divvy up the money. You know, we used to also do things as well, like um, go to the MCG and pick up all the cans off the ground and take them to the cash for cans and get extra pocket money. Like we're always given mm. these sort of different ways to, to earn. And um, yeah, I guess we weren't, we weren't a super wealthy family, but we definitely weren't. We were definitely a middle-class type family, but um, my mum was also quite um, uh uh, frugal and uh, didn't spend spend anything that she didn't need to so we had this bit of a hunger to go well if we'd get the basics of what we needed to survive kind of thing uh, but anything on top of that uh, it was Christmas and birthdays and if you wanted anything else that fitted outside that budget that's where you had to earn some money to, to get that so we always sort of joined those dots from the early days too which was a lesson which I didn't probably appreciate at the time but now now as an adult I could definitely look back on and go you know I actually kind of like that because I don't feel, you know, I think everybody has their own version of entitlements, right? But mm -hmm. I kind of feel like uh, some of my other people that I grew up with, with maybe that did have uh, a lot more given to them uh, for, for, for no work or for, for, no, for no reason, um, mm. maybe don't have a, a stronger work ethic as some of my other friends uh, who, who were given maybe a similar upbringing. So yeah. I think there, there could be some sort of a link there, yeah. I think so. I never understood why billionaires, I always was like, why on earth would some of these billionaires come out and say, I'm only giving X amount of dollars. Or I'm not giving anything to my kids. And I just thought it was horrible. But now that I've heard story after story and, and realized maybe there is a great wisdom in that because they're trying to help their kids who have a unique uh, opportunity to be entitled from coming from a family with billions of dollars to actually not uh, not live an entitled life, uh, which, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think there's, um, some studies out there as well that show that money doesn't last more than two generations a lot of the time, or is it three or something like that? I don't yeah. know exactly, mm. but there's something out, there's a whole heap of studies out there that sort of show that if you do just sort of hand it on and that, that privilege and that expectation just keeps going, they actually forget uh, you know, the, the lessons that were learned by the, the original person who made the money in the first place. And so quite often it starts again. 
So there's a real effort. I know one of my friends, he's doing pretty well for himself and he's got three boys and he spends a lot of his time making sure they get the right sort of education so that they know also how to grow that money or, or, you know, invest it and do different things with it and make more of it because it's not guaranteed forever. It does run out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, back to the leader that really had a big uh, influence on you, who took you up to Darwin and gave you that year opportunity. Any stories of that leader or anything in particular that she did that really stands out to you as, uh, I mean, one of the first things, obviously she saw the potential in you, but was there anything else that you really appreciated in how she led? Yeah, I think she, she was a great leader because what she did was is that she really helped me to, she really helped me believe in myself and trust myself. I think at that time, you know, I didn't really, like I said earlier, I didn't, this wasn't a career path that I'd sort of hand selected you know no one came and asked me uh what do you want to do and i said i didn't say i wanted to work in a call center and become a team leader there you know that was was definitely wasn't a chosen career path it was just kind of what started happening um but she really saw something in me at the time and um yeah she she took me up there and and every everything that i did with up there she was very much around well what do you want to do what's your decision she really empowered me to be able to be to, to learn from my own mistakes. And she gave me great guidance, but she also let me, yeah, like I said, learn from my mistakes, try things, experiment, you know, innovate, all those sorts of things that are good when you're, when you're learning any craft. She was just a great guide to be able to do that and just gave me a lot of really awesome opportunities, um, put me into situations that I just didn't think that I'd be able to handle, like, you know, representing our particular office at national summits and all these different things, even though I was probably the youngest in age and the least experienced leader, she really backed me and gave me a, that gave me a lot of confidence. And also being up there away from my friends and family, you know, I just, for that year that I was up there, just absolutely worked my backside off and enjoyed Darwin. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, it was out swimming in rock pools and going out fishing and, you know, crocodiles everywhere and you know, all these amazing things that they have in the top end. It's a beautiful part of the, of the world. Um, maybe you can get a, a, a deal from I Northern Territory as well. There, Northern Jono. Territory. They've been advertising. I think it could be, uh, could be coming. Yeah. But in, in, in outside of my working hours and, and doing those sorts of things and hanging out with a few friends that I had made up there, you know, I didn't have a lot of distractions. So I just really, really put a lot into that year. And I sort of came back a very, very different leader than I got on that plane to go up there as um, I was just a hell of a lot more experienced. I think I matured a lot too. Yeah. You know, I was already living out of home, but I was living with, you know, another couple of 18, 19 year olds and you know, a couple of musicians. Like we, we definitely, uh, they probably, you know, all together, we probably weren't the, the, the most mature people, but, you know, going up there, I was hanging out with people that were a lot older than I was um, a lot more experienced in leadership. And I came back, the very different view of the world, I think. And as a, as a different, not a different person, but a more mature version of myself, I think. Um, and I was able to yeah. get a, a lot more of a senior role sort of doing a um, relationship management position. Mm -hmm. So instead of being in the front line as a team leader or as like a, a sales sort of lead across multiple team leaders, which is what I ended up getting towards the end of that stay when I was up there, I ended up uh, getting a role where I was, a relationship manager to like a portfolio of um, outsourced call centers. Uh, and that, that I was dealing with general managers as my peer and sort of talking about how they were executing and operationalizing uh, mm. what, what Telstra as an organization was trying to do into, into their call centers so that our customers would have the same experience if they called one of our internal call centers or one of their, um, the other providers. So that was, that was also another big jump in the deep end there too that I was probably not ready for at the time, but just learned to swim. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's, that's really cool. So how did you, what's, what's your journey been to go from those sort of team leader roles? And then, like you said, um, outsourced, you know, having that sort of liaison and key role managing outsourced call centers to now do what you're, uh, what you're doing with um, Impacto Consulting. Yeah. So I guess what I was really perfecting or not perfecting, but I guess learning as we went along was just leadership, right? And as we know, leadership is situational. Leadership can be applied to a whole different heap of contexts, um, but you learn those core skills and how to work with people and how to make decisions and business acumen and all those bits and pieces. That's what I was really sort of learning. So 
I did that job for a number of years and it really evolved to become even more and more senior as it sort of the organization kept reshuffling and restructuring. Uh, and I managed to get a redundancy um, and moved on to another organization, uh, one of the biggest insurance companies in the, in the country. And yeah, I worked there for a number of years and came in there as a, like a, a manager of like a department that had sort of like call center function and also sort of back office and email communication, just a sort of customer experience sort of area. And then from there sort of started moving probably a bit more sort of sideways towards more like uh, managing the teams that support operations instead. So then I started running like all the different training departments, uh, customer experience. Uh, I was looking after like customer experience strategy. Uh, yeah, a whole heap of, I would ask like IT projects, just a whole heap of things that would support the operations and did that for a number of years. And then I got like this, uh, this another position, which was my last one there, which was the um, sort of head of the customer experience strategy for this particular organization's sort of startup department. So I had sort of like the innovation capability in my team. We did a lot of human centered design and co-design type work. Um, we do a lot of like customer experience strategies. So how do we bring the customer value proposition to life through the operations? Uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So that was, that was kind of the journey to get there. Uh, and yeah, I was, I was enjoying it. It was probably my dream job that if you had to ask me when I was in Darwin, like, where would you love all this to head? I'd probably say this job, but when I got there and I was doing it for a little bit, it just wasn't really ticking the boxes for me. Like I just felt yeah i just felt like there was something missing um and around about that time my mum actually passed away uh pretty early and pretty suddenly and oh, i'm sorry I, yeah thanks man it's um yeah i was kind of at the time just thinking to myself yeah if i was on my deathbed is this what i really want to be doing with my life mm. and the answer was i loved what i did on a day-to-day -day and i love the people i worked with i work with some man some awesome people that are still my friend now friends now but the stuff that I, the, the reason for what I was doing was to make shareholders money. And I just didn't really care about it, to be honest. Like it just was not, yeah. not a driver for me. Um, and I was also having an issue too, that I was now quite senior in the organization and the people above me didn't share the same values. And I was always, I was in charge of sort of like the uh, customer experience strategy. And we were just, just mm -hmm. always not seeing eye to eye. And, I went to this really good talk by somebody that came in to sort of do a Ted talk type style style chat with us. And the person said this one thing to me that just absolutely changed the way that I saw the world. And they said, if you are working in an organization and you're in middle senior management, if you're the leaders above you do not have the same values as you, you're always going to be banging your head up against the wall. Cause you're always going to have a head versus heart problem. <laughs> And it just spoke to me, man, like it just cut through all the crap, all the front and just hit me smack bang in the middle of the, of the chest. And I was like, wow. And at that moment I was like, I got to quit. Wow. And I remember looking over one of my employees at the time, he's an older and pretty wise sort of dude. And he was just looking at me and he could read my face and he's just looking at me going, don't quit, man. And I was nodding. I was like, yeah, I'm going to quit. And he's like, no, I have a think about it. And I was like, nah, this feels so right. And I, and I knew that it had, and I'd already sort of had this idea of going to South America for a little bit. Cause I knew I wanted to do something different, which I'd already sort of spoken about, but I just didn't know when the right time was to do that. And I didn't really have an idea, mm. but I just had, yeah, I, I thought I'm just going to go and, have a think about this and just sort of take a break from my work for a while and just really, you know, go find myself, I guess, to, <laughs> to use a cliche. Um, and that's what I did. I, I ended yeah. up saying to them, look, I don't need a career break. I'm actually going to resign. Uh, I just need to get out of here. I need to start fresh slate. I've ended up here because I've just sort of followed the bouncing ball and sort of taken the next step, but I really need to ask myself, what do I truly want to do and what's my purpose? So it took almost uh, geez, a year and a half off, lots of travel, went around uh, South America, volunteered in the Amazon and lived in like little communities that only got electricity a few years before and spent a bit of time in India, Sri Lanka, a bit of time in the Middle East. I went into Palestine and sort of saw the situation there with my own eyes and lived in Sweden for a few months and did all these different things. And I just kind of realized there's just so many inequalities in the world and lack, lack of fairness in so many places. And I realized that throughout my entire leadership journey, that was the one thing that was actually the common thread. And that was something that I'd always sort of been a champion for, but without knowing that I was a really big uh, champion for fairness and honesty and um, people being able to be given an equal shot and, and, and yeah, 
have given it given a go um mm. and it was no matter whether i was in leadership that's what i was always fighting for for the people that worked for me is making sure that they were treated well by the organization you know when i was in these customer experience roles it was always fighting for the customer to make sure that they were actually treated well by the organization and you know fairly and all those sorts of things and when i took myself out of that scenario these were the same things that kind of affected me there too and so i'm in fast forward i'm in sweden i've got been there for three months i've been volunteering at their largest animal rights organization doing some sort of pro bono consulting there and i'm looking on at jobs online and i'm thinking oh, i'm running out of money i need to go back to australia and i'm like oh what am i going to do and i thought well i'm doing this pro bono consulting at this animal rights organization that's pretty fun and i was like maybe i could look for jobs doing something like that and anyways i couldn't find anything so i came up with this idea of just starting uh, a consulting organization and, or just even just doing it by myself, I think was the starting point. Yeah. And out of, no, out of nowhere, man, literally like the next day I get a message from my ex colleague, Tracy. She, I worked with her for about probably geez, six years before this particular time at uh, the insurance company. And she hit me up and goes, Hey Dan, I heard you're in Sweden and you're coming home soon. I'm um, just letting you know, I got made redundant. Uh, do you know what you're going to do next? I'm thinking about doing something in the sort of not-for-profit space, um, maybe some wow. sort of consulting using my skills. And I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> I'm like, man, I literally just started working on an idea for a business yesterday. Do you want to do it together? And she's like, hell yeah, let's do it. So that was, uh, <laughs> That's was incredible. Like four and a half years ago, man, and uh, still doing it together. So, Wow. What a cool, cool story. That's amazing. The next, uh, the very next day after you start planning it, she sends you a message. Oh, amazing, that. Huh? Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. You couldn't, you couldn't make this stuff up. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's so it's true. Crazy. That's, that's incredible. So, any, any favorite stories in the four and a half years since? Uh, do you have any favorite stories of transformation or um, innovation where you've been able to help companies or just even if they're little things that have just really stuck with you and been very meaningful? Yeah, well, um, a big one is, is that, you know, we teach people uh, and help organizations to be better, able to better understand their customers or their clients or the people they support. And so we're, we're, we know how to do all of that. But just like a plumber that has a leaky tap, uh, when we first got into it, we really didn't understand our clients and our customers to the level that we do today and the level we probably needed to. And we've spent a lot of the last four years just trying to understand who our true client is um you know what do they truly need from us and we've sort of been really flexible and you know to use a startup cliche you know we've been pivoting the business a lot uh to try and meet those needs and sort of get a, a model that you know is going to help us to really add value to the sector so that's been a big one for us. Even when you're a, an advocate for this stuff and you help other people to do it, man, you just can't know enough about who your clients are. But I tell you what, spending mm. that time to do that and truly understanding and no matter what sort of leadership position you're in, if you can understand that and really get inside their head, you are, that's where innovation comes from. Well, that's when I say innovation, that's where really successful innovation comes from because you know, without a market, you don't have anything at the end of the day. If, you've, if you can create yeah. something that people want, um, and it's, you can do the same thing. You use the same skill if you're a leader and you've got employees, um, you know, if you can understand what these people truly want and then you can try and, you know, work in a way where you can provide that to them and offer that to them. That's what it's all about, I think, at the end of the day. Well, not all of it, but it's a big part of it. Oh, completely. I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard to do. It's difficult to do, but it's so simple. I, I remember uh, the other day, we've only recently uh liz and i've only recently started doing any online uh grocery shopping like we 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 just we're we tend to be late adopters let me be honest most <laughs> of the time we're pretty late adopters like uh, you know it took me a while to get on the iphone and i'm usually a few years behind um <laughs> just so everyone knows i'm on the woolworths which is our uh, one of our big supermarkets here in australia on the woolworths website the other day and i was just doing some grocery shopping and uh and I just remember thinking to myself, this is so good. Like, this is so easy to find things because I am so unobservant. I'm the guy that walks through the supermarket and walks past you 10 times looking for lemon <laughs> juice. Like, I just <laughs> cannot find things. And, and it just struck me. It was the simplest thing, but it just struck me. I was like, this is like, this is what it boils down to, right? Like, what 
what will make your customer like what is your customer really looking for where if you can provide it whatever you do like in any industry any sector and like you said it also applies for your employees where they have they have an experience with you where you go or where they go this is so good this is so easy to use this is so convenient this is exactly what i what i needed and um the funny thing about that is exactly what you've said it's so simple when when you experience it it's so frustrating when you experience the opposite as a customer but when you're the when you're the company providing that to to get the true data is what i've and it's funny you bring this up and and it's great that you guys are working in this space because i've had uh, so many episodes where this has come up um, even recently as an example uh, i had matt abrahams uh, who hosts a great podcast about communication think fast talk smart i think it's called he's at stanford university and he was just talking about communication and step one was about understanding your audience and it just struck me that it's like it's really the same thing in another way it's like even with communication it's about starting by really getting in the shoes of your people so what what advice would you give to those listening who know that they want to do better and, and need to do better at understanding their employees or their customers like well, what's what are some starting points you'd recommend yes yeah, so I, I always like to break things down to, to to their core thing and sort of take away uh things that humans have created to make things more complicated so if i think we take it back just a step and go what are what do uh, employees, uh, customers, uh, your partner all have in common? We're all humans, all right? So yeah. how, do you, how do you learn more about any human is you spend time with them. Spend time with them asking them questions, spend time with them talking, telling stories, uh, spend some quality time with people and you will, you will learn. Um, but, you know, if we're sitting in another room from that person working on numbers or something else, then that's a great way to not be able to understand what they're doing. So my, my advice in that space and what we always say to people is, is just work out ways that are beneficial for both you and those people, whether it be your employees or your um, customers, clients, whatever you want to call them, to, to spend time together. Um, so we run some examples of how we do this is we run regular webinars every week and we're constantly just asking as part of that our, our potential clients like, this is what we understand as being some of the challenges at the moment. Are we right or are we wrong? What else would you have to add to that? Um, we constantly are reaching out to people we've worked with and people that we know from the sector and going like, Hey, just talk to us about how have you been? What are you working on at the moment? You know, yeah. just spending time and connecting with them person to person and just, you know, just really listening, not trying to tell them what we think they need, trying to actually just confirm, like, do we actually understand? Um, and I think that's a very different mindset. And it works well with any type of person, I think, is that, you know, people, people want to be understood. They want to be heard. And I think yes. if you can create ways to do that, it doesn't matter what title you want to give that human. Um, I think people appreciate it and they'll, and they'll give that to you in, um, in, 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 in large amounts if you do it in the right way. It's also a great business development for um, like, it's, it's a, you get two big advantages for those out there who, who know they need to grow the sales of their organization or, you know, there's a lot of leaders like uh, I work with a lot of schools and you get this incredible pedagogy curriculum genius coming into a head of school role. And then what's the big challenge for the, for the next five years marketing, <laughs> you know, or it might be enrollments. And it's like, Oh man, I've spent my whole career in curriculum and pedagogy. And now I need to be a, a people leader who is really leading um, growth in enrollment and differentiating our school. That's just something they've never stepped into. And what I love about what you've just said, spending time with your people, it has, it has a few things. Firstly, there's no, uh, there's nothing like actually spending time. Like you just said, like literally the things you pick up from just sitting, listening, asking questions. And also for those who are even entrepreneurs who are listening and going, but I don't have time for that. I've got to drive the, the business growth. It's like, well, it actually is great business development because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that builds trust more than authentically asking. And, uh, and people are often pretty receptive. It's amazing. Like even as a podcast, as an example, if I went to uh, someone who'd be my dream customer, my dream client for clarity, and I said, can I please meet you to tell you about how amazing I am? Most of the time, unless we have a relationship, they're like, man, no, like we're busy doing our thing. No, thank you. But if I come in and say, hey, can, can I ask you lots of questions about you as the CEO? 
people will say yes. Like, and so I think that's another side of what you're saying, particularly for, uh, say, for entrepreneurs, you not only can learn more by sitting, listening and asking those sort of questions, but in the process, it's also good business development. Oh, 100%, man. And I'd also challenge those people like, well, what else are you working on that's so important? Because if you don't get this bit right, then you don't really have a business. Like if you don't <laughs> know what your customers want, so you can ignore it and avoid it. But I mean, I'd probably say if you literally do not have the time because you're running something that's growing really fast and you don't actually have a lot of time, pay a consulting group then to go yes. and actually get some insights for you. And then maybe they can pull together some sort of a, a bit of a showreel where you can actually sit in I guess, uh, virtually after the fact and watch some of the interviews that happened and hear it from those clients. You know, there's, there's other ways you can do it like that too. When I was working internally in the insurance company, one of my roles was to help the senior leaders there, like our CEO and um, his, his executives to be able to understand what the customer experience was like. And what our role was, we knew that they were busy people, but they also, we also knew, and they also knew that they needed to have their finger on the pulse. So mm. we worked out ways like being able to get them to go and visit one customer every quarter mm-hmm. and just talk to them, just say, you know, <laughs> this is my role. I just want to listen to you. Tell me what it's like to be a customer with us. Or we sometimes <laughs> even get them to visit people that weren't our customers and say, tell us why you're not a customer with us. I'm just listening. I just want your feedback. You know, and these people just would come back with amazing stories. It just one person they spoke to for one hour changed and gave them fuel for the next quarter, you know, and they would come back and they'd share all those stories and kind of synthesize all that information. So it wasn't just sort of like a one-off, but they would learn from these experiences. And we'd also get them in there to, to watch frontline interactions as well. So whether they be digital or over the phone or also just get some sort of observation on what the experience looks like, because, I think, you know, we, we are accountable at the end of the day for that as senior leaders in organizations. And it's, it's when you understand that level of detail, you can make a hell of a lot better decisions and you really truly know what you are producing at the end as well. That's so true. You just reminded me of one of my favorite stories about this and about senior executives being disconnected from the front line, which is in the book, Blue Ocean Strategy. And they yep. talk about, I think it's General Motors. And one of the biggest <laughs> problems they were having is that the senior executives didn't understand um, the challenges that people were experiencing with getting their cars serviced. And and uh, and so I think, I don't know whether they were consulting with them or if they just heard this story secondhand, but basically they realized the biggest problem for the executive team at General Motors is they would bring their cars to work, which would be uh, provided to them from the company when they parked as part of their sort of package of being an executive, because they're a car group and they would have, people would be detailing their cars every day. Their cars would get serviced while they were at work. <laughs> <laughs> they like, and so, and that all sounds great, right? Well, and it's, you know, they would have been thinking it's important. Our cars need to look good when we're on the, when we're on the road because we're representing the company. The problem was they completely lost any sense of the average person's uh, frustrations with having your car serviced, needing to take it in for a service, not then having a car. What do you do? So all those sort of things were foreign to them and they had no finger on the pulse because ironically of the perks that they were getting in their role that had been sort of created for them by their organization. There was this massive disconnect between reality and what they were experiencing. Yeah, that, that's a great example. I love that book too. That's an awesome book. Um, I recommend you for a reread of that one. It's been yeah. a while, but um, that's one of my yeah. reread books. It's good. It's worth uh, reading multiple times. Hey, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think there's a good lesson to be taken out of that too. Is that like, you know, what you, you got to in, ex, inspect what you expect, you know? And I think just to be leaving that blind and sort of leaving that to, mm. oh, hopefully it's being executed the way that I think it is that leaves us open to a lot of surprises. And, you know, I had somebody say the other day that was a CEO of an organization that we do some work with saying, I keep my surprises strictly limited to birthdays and Christmas. <laughs> i like that one I that yeah one. oh that's good yeah yeah i like that too okay well to to land i want to ask you a few final questions uh for leadership express are you ready go for it okay what's a book that you've gifted to other people can i do a couple for this one because i can. i like gifting books so a while ago i was absolutely obsessed with that the Zappos experience book. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was such an awesome example. Obviously people know that I'm a bit of a customer experience nerd. So that book just really, uh, delivering happiness. Is it that one? Yeah. That, uh, no, or is it a different that, one. 
I don't know. I think it's called the Zappos Experience or something okay. like that. It's by it's by the um, uh, Five Principles to Inspire, Engage, and Wow is the oh okay cool. It's still written by uh, it's actually by Joseph Michelli, so it's not actually by Tony Hisaya. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I was thinking yeah. of the other one. Oh, I haven't had yeah. that one recommended. Thank you. That's great. I'll have to check it it's out. A really good one. Yeah, there's heaps of different ideas on you know how they sort of did what they did and just different ways that you can uh, be you know a bit more uh, customer focused. Uh, the other one that I love is the alchemist too. Uh, so yes. I recommended that to a hell of a lot of people. That was a, a big thing when I was sort of in my moving out of this corporate space and moving into what I do now, that book really gave me a path. Uh, if anyone reads the, read the book as well, that's a bit of a pun too, uh, <laughs> towards, you know, just trusting the process, just being explorative, not needing to know all the answers, just sort of seeing where you're heading and just being okay with the uncertainty. I took a lot of really good life lessons out of that. And I often speak to people that come to me and said, oh yeah, you, you, you're, in, you're not in the situation that I'm in now, but how did you get out? And I often say, read that book. <laughs> <laughs> great the alchemist uh yeah. okay any favorite questions that are like superpower questions that you tend to always be asking clients in one-on-ones uh you know with different people well that's a good one um that's a good question in itself <laughs> um Oh, no, I didn't get a chance to think about that one before. Sorry, mate. I don't know. No, that that. Oh, that's right. I forgot that I actually did send you these lists. That's one that I just added. Oh, <laughs> so I sprung that on you. Um, oh, right. we, can come, we can come back to that. Something might, uh, might appear in your mind. But yeah, I sure. did just spring that one on you. Sorry. Um, this, right. is an, this is another new question. So uh, <laughs> apologies if I, if I catch you two for two. Um, what is a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? Yeah. Okay. I got a good one for this. So uh, it's look, it's, it's, it is leadership related, but it's also customer experience related that hiring people that want to work in your organization because of your mission equals great client experiences is one that we hear a lot in our space. And it is important. Definitely not saying that it's not important, but um, what, what I am saying though, is that there's so many other elements that you need to have in check as well to, to make those experiences easy. So, you know, it comes down to training, it comes down to uh, having people that can be empowered to, to make the right decisions. It comes down to uh, good service design and uh, execution of your strategy. Uh, there's so many elements to that, that, that are beyond just hire the hiring part the hiring part is the start but i've worked in organizations where the hiring process is absolutely slick and they get the right people in the door and those people turn into the wrong people within three months so Mm. an organization there's a lot of moving parts to getting that right there's not just that one silver bullet of who you're recruiting yeah i like that that's a really good thought actually really good um a movie or tv show that really impacted you Oh, um, now this can be serious or fun. We've had yeah. Golden Girls, Ali McBeal, <laughs> um, Seinfeld, so it can be, but it also can be can be serious. It can be fun though. Yeah, I I really love Interstellar. That's probably one of my favorite movies. I'm not very yes. good at these questions of like your favorite book or your favorite movie sort of stuff. <laughs> it really challenges me because I'm a very uh, I'm, I have a lot of diverse, I have diverse hobbies and diverse reasons why I like lots of different things. I'm a person of variety. So I find that a bit difficult, but I'd, I would have to say if I had to choose a favorite movie, it would be Interstellar. I don't know if this is very leadership related. I just think it's an awesome movie. I think it shows it's very human. I think that's, it's a real um, emotional roller coaster. You go from, you know, they're kind of in this like existential crisis where the world's kind of ending and they've got to work out this way to save the world and this hero character has got these young kids and they just absolutely just hate him because he's going to save the world, Uh, but he knows he has to do it, you know, and all these things happen. I don't want to give too much away for people that haven't seen it, but the science in it's really good and the physics in it is really good. And it's just a a real masterpiece. It's a piece of art as well as a really awesome piece of entertainment and some really good um, life some messages in there for us as well to consider of how we're treating the planet and what we're doing Mm. to each other and those sorts of things. So. That's a good recommendation. Now, and that's why I love asking that question because it's not really, (laughs) there's no leadership answer like that's the leadership movie. You know, it's, but (laughs) that's a great movie. And there are so many good lessons in that. I love it. Um, 
Okay. Any favorite questions? Has anything come to mind now that you've had a, a, a little bit longer or even just a question that you ask regularly? It doesn't have to be the best question ever in the world, but what's, um, are there any questions say when you're meeting with a client that, that are always part of your process? Yeah, look, it, this is, this is all I can really think of, but um, we do, we do love to, we love, we always love to challenge our clients. That's the thing that I think you, the role you play as a consultant, mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, you're probably not adding that much value um, because you know, that's why they come to us, right? There's normally a yeah. problem that they can't solve themselves or they need your assistance and expertise in. And the thing that I always sort of uh, are challenging our clients on is that, how do you know that? So <laughs> in, in organizations, uh, no matter what they do and where they are located in the world, there's just these, they said this, or there's these like, I don't know what they the right word for it, but there's these like <laughs> these rules. There's rules. Yeah, yeah. There's rules and common knowledge that floats around the organization. I know what you mean. And usually it's BS, man. Like yeah. the amount of times I've done, I've been, you know, myth busting these things for years. <laughs> yes. In organizations. And now I'm doing it from the stuff I do now. And I'm like, man, 95% of the time when somebody says, Oh, now we can't change that because it costs like six million dollars to do that. I'm like, how do you know that? And quite often it's like, oh, that's what everyone just says around here. And then when you go digging and you go to speak to the actual IT team and they're like, no, we do like 20 releases every month, but we, but you know, it can get expensive if you're doing something really big and crazy, not just like you can't change anything, like you can really find it out. So it's something that I like to challenge our clients on. And I also try to challenge myself as well when I'm self-aware enough to sort of say, how do, how do I actually know that? Do yeah. I do, am I that sure? That's so uh, because, good. I love it. Mm. <laughs> it's um, it, I was just laughing because it reminds me of in organizations, there's also those things which you must hear as well, where it's like, oh no, our clients don't, or, you know, for schools, our, no, the parents, you know, our parents don't really care about blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, that's a great follow-up question. How, how, do, how do you know that? Mm. Oh yeah. Well, no, I just Are don't sure? think they do. Or I had a chat with one parent 10 years yeah. ago and they mentioned, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's so, uh, so interesting. Okay. Last well, question. The one, the, sorry. The, add to that as yeah. well. The other thing you hear a lot too, is that, cause that's what I think. So I'm a parent and that's what I think. It's like, yeah, but you've also got a bias because you work for yes. the school or, you know, whatever. So there's always that is a taking personal experience and extrapolating that out of your customer base is another, it's another trap. Very true. <laughs> that's good. Last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Oh yeah, that's, that's a good one. This is another one that I was thinking of. This was on the list that you gave me, Jono. So that is helpful. So I have thought about it. Look, I, I think, you know, I like to still see myself as a young leader, you know, I still feel like I got a bit to give, but uh, yeah, if I was to maybe speak to somebody, you know, back when they were you know, a lot younger and just sort of starting out, maybe in a younger version of myself, I think that I would really try and get, and this is real cliche at the moment, but I'll try and elaborate on it to sort of say what I mean. But I think purpose is so important. There's so many people doing the wrong job for the wrong reasons. You know, it's just, ah, man, there's so many people that are just stuck and trapped in places that they shouldn't be. And, you know, I, 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 in some of the environments that I worked in, it was absolutely the wrong fit. You know, I'm a really, progressive, innovative, sort of like creative sort of a person. And I was, you know, you look at insurance as an industry, man, it's, it's pretty conservative. And, you know, how long did I bang my head up against the wall uh, trying to work with people that just didn't really want to move forward? Um, you know, I, I learned a lot. I loved it. Don't, don't take it the wrong way. There's a lot of good things. But the work that I do now is it's almost like the shackles have been taken off, taken off my legs and I can now fly and I can do all these things because there's no resistance. You know, there's, I work with organizations who are attracted to come to work with my organization because me and my business partner and the other people we work with, we put out that sort of a a vibe and uh, people go, Oh, I want to work with you guys because I'm also someone that's interested in doing this stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now that, what the purpose of what we do is aligned. Like I, I never feel like I'm stressed. You know, I'm, I'm literally every single day that I work is just, it feels natural. Whereas man, the amount of meetings and uh, things I was working <laughs> on in those other environments that just weren't hundred percent right for me were, um, you know, I was, I went through a lot of stress in those periods. So my yeah. advice would be at the end of all of that would be really 
it's like a game of guess who. And this is something I do say to young leaders that do ask me this question, actually. I say, it's a game of guess who, right? As multi- the, the good news for you is there's not only one answer out there. It's not just Herman or something, you know, in that game. It's, <laughs> yeah. There's multiple up there for you. But as a young leader, you need to go around and start asking some of those questions. You know, does your person have glasses? Does your person have hair? Is it blonde or whatever? Like, and what I mean by that is in the analogy is like, you need to start thinking, do I want to work in the hospitality? Do I want to work in this space? Do I like this type of leadership? Uh, am I this? You need to sort of like go through this process of elimination is what I'm sort of saying by using the analogy of guess who, <laughs> um, yeah. bear with me. And uh, yeah, essentially, <laughs> no, you'll get towards the end and you'll start knocking that down to only a couple left, but it is a process of elimination. It's very similar to the story behind the alchemist, the book that I recommended earlier, where you don't need to know all the answers at the start. I don't think anyone can do that. I only know maybe one or two people that have said what they wanted to do in high school and they've actually still doing that thing, you know, like it just, it just changes. I think it's a lot of pressure to put on people. I think what we should be doing is just sort of saying, go out there and try stuff and you will eventually get to where you're supposed to be. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. one of the most important things in the world because, man, we're giving up at the moment five days of our seven days per week Mm. on this earth. And, you know, we get a couple of weeks off in return at the end of it. Like you've got to be happy doing what you're doing on a day-to-day basis because that is pretty much most of your life. So that's, that's my, that's my message. Great advice. Great analogy. I love the guess who analogy that (laughs) I wish I'd heard that when I was 17. Uh, that's fantastic. Wonderful advice and wonderful advice for young leaders too. Uh, so for those who are loving the vibe and really do want to connect with you, Dan, and uh, feel like there might be some alignment there, um, can you tell us a bit about your podcast and also where people can find you online? Sure, man. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, the Innovate, so it's called Innovate for Impact is our podcast. It can be found on Spotify, uh, Apple, all the different uh, places that good pod, uh, podcasts are published. Um, and we have a website, it's impactoconsulting.com.au. Uh, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn too. So, um, one of those people that's happy to accept requests from randoms. So don't worry, you can, uh, feel free to, to message me, <laughs> add me. I'll be more than happy to chat with you unless you're just trying to sell me some, um, website, uh, building system or something <laughs> like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely happy to reach out, happy to have a chat. Um, you know, I one of the things that I love doing is, is, especially in the leadership space, is giving back to other leaders because, you know, when I talk about the example of the lady from Darwin earlier, so many, and there's so many others that I didn't even get to mention today, but so many people have invested in me over the years too and helped me, you know, get to where I am today. So I'm, I always love to do the same thing back. So yeah, people can check me out there, just Dan Bentley. Uh, and if you search for Dan Bentley Impacto Consulting, I'll probably come up there somewhere, so. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Great stories, great wisdom, great uh, Aussie accents today, which is always <laughs> endearing to a lot of the world. So I know there'll be a lot of listeners um, who who really enjoyed today, but for, for much beyond the accents, it's been really great wisdom and, and really interesting thoughts and stories from Dan. Uh, for our listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast, which is more straight up tips for building a high performance team and casting vision and those sort of things. And the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, where I ask you a different question every day to put a stone in your shoe, make you a bit uncomfortable, like Dan talked about. That's what we do as consultants, make you a bit uncomfortable, challenge you to help you grow. Um, But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Dan. It's been just a pleasure to get to know you. Uh, Really appreciated hearing uh, the stories from your life and your leadership. And I know it will have helped a lot of people. So thank you for being so generous with your time, Dan. No worries, Jono. Thanks for having me on the show, man. And keep up the good work. Uh, I love your podcast. I think you're doing some great things. So thanks for having me on the show. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. 
Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.